Casey and Kate Stapleton are known as the Stapletons. So good to have the two of you here on The Antidote. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. I really need to know this. Was it a struggle for you deciding on your band name? <laughs> um, it was <laughs> It was a quick uh, decision. We, we thought about a lot of long artistic names. And uh, I think our friend who's a musician who was kind of mentoring us said, you know, you guys are grownups. Just call yourselves your name. So I think that was our decision-making process. Now it's been a challenge because, uh, you know, Chris Stapleton is really famous. And when you search for us, he comes up very often. So we kind of get lost. And he sings with his wife. So when we started, uh, just started our project in our attic at home, Chris Stapleton, the country singer, hadn't really hit the big time. But by the time that we released our album, we were sort of buried beneath uh, his country fame. And you guys are definitely not country. No, not at all. You know, even though Ballads and Battles is the debut release from the Stapletons, the two of you tower over the rest of the music scene. Now, you care to explain why? Um, yeah, physically, we... Uh, We're over 12 feet of people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm six feet tall and... and I'm, yeah, and I'm six foot five. And uh, we're just tall people and, you know. I think people often think that musicians are larger than life and... We actually are. <laughs> and you two have broken the trend. Usually someone tall marries someone way shorter, like my wife marrying me. Right. That's that's the way it normally goes. I think my oldest daughter is probably going to be 6'3". She's 7 now, but her current trajectory looks like she's going to be taller than I am. So, <laughs> The song Blue Mountain Girl has the line, I knew you belonged in a quiet life where we could become another life. The two of you are both from the States, but you've come from very different cultures. Is this song really the story of your relationship? Uh, yeah, I, I wrote that song when um, Kate and I started dating. Uh, she was living in Asheville, North Carolina, and I was living in Pittsburgh. And uh, I drive down to see her about once every other month. She drive up once a month, I drive down. And as I drive through the Blue Mountains, uh, that tune kind of hit me, you know, and at that time we got engaged and, you know, when you have kids, it's like you're becoming another life, you know, so that, that was in the back of my mind when I wrote that. And I think, as you mentioned, we're from very different places. So at that point I was living in, uh, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, I lived for a while halfway up the side of a mountain with no plumbing and very little electricity. Casey's from LA. I'm from Wisconsin farm country. So really the Northern part of the United States. And we're really almost from as close as you can get to being from two completely different cultures. So yeah, that song was kind of the initial sort of bringing together these totally different cultural backgrounds. You know, Kate, you have a place of honor here since you're the one that's finally going to give the antidote some class. <laughs> you're the very first harpist I've ever had on this program. Wow, I'm happy to, happy to be the first. Couldn't there have been something easier to learn, you know, like a guitar? Um, there, there's a lot of instruments that are easier than the harp. I, um, I grew up playing piano. I played the flute for a little while. I switched to tuba, which is much easier than the harp, although just as unwieldy to carry around. But I, I heard a harp when I was in 
my senior year of high school, I walked into my friend's home and her father was recording a harpist. And I heard the sound and just was so blown away. I thought, I want to make that sound happen. So I started playing a really tiny harp um, at that point and kind of worked my way up from there. Of course, I was saying that just to torment you, Casey, because I know the guitar is your thing. But your style isn't the typical rock guitarist. Yeah, I um, I spent some years in a monastery, and uh, I think that, that formed me a little bit. But when I first learned guitar, my mom forced me to take lessons. So I'm half Mexican, and uh, it was sort of a cultural thing that I had to learn how to play guitar. And for a month and a half or so, I... I would go to my weekly lesson and I hated playing the guitar, hated it. And so after a month and a half, my mom said I could quit, which was, you know, music to my ears. And about a few weeks later, I was listening to REM, uh, Losing My Religion. And I'm like, I got to learn this song. And so I, I you know, went back to the guitar lesson and uh, my guitar teacher just kind of rolled his eyes. And instead of teaching me that song, he started teaching me like Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan and, and my taste sort of uh, moved away from, from the melodic into more like bluesy rock stuff. But I've always been drawn to just very straight melodies. In fact, the first guitar I played on was a gift from my uncle from Mexico. So it was this like really thick uh, mahogany classical guitar that he got. He's a lawyer in Mexico. And my uncle got this guitar as payment for one of his cases. He defended a guitar maker in court and the guitar maker made him a guitar. So. That's what I actually used on our Christmas uh, single that we just released. Uh, what child is this? That's the sound you hear. That's so cool. And I understood that you were actually playing mariachi. Yeah. Um, for a few summers, I, I would sort of moonlight as a mariachi singer in a, in a restaurant in Los Angeles. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but I got tired of it. But, you know, I grew up listening to that music. And uh, when we'd visit relatives in Mexico, I'd always hear those songs. I, I like the, the rhythm of mariachi players and the style and, and the raking and just their approach to it. So that's influenced me a little bit. Uh, also, when we got married, I wore a mariachi suit to our wedding. Yeah, on the album. You know. It's the same one we're still using today. It's really come in surprisingly handy in the long run. <laughs> it was a worthwhile purchase. Yeah, that's right. You know, without having heard the music of the Stapletons, I wouldn't have thought it would be possible really to connect the sound of a mariachi guitarist to a Celtic harpist. But those styles don't really come up too often on your album Ballads and Battles. How would you describe your sound? I mean, yeah, that sound hasn't come up yet. Uh, It will. Like, we're writing some new songs that really have that sound. Um, But I would say Ballads and Battles has more of a, a historical very earthy feel. It's very straightforward. The storytelling is at the forefront. Yeah, I think we're still working to define our sound or maybe we're defining a sound that people will refer back to. It's unusual to hear the approach to the guitar and the harp that we've taken because as far as we've been able to find so far, it's just not being done. You hear duos doing guitar and harp music with a very straightforward Celtic approach. That's pretty common. There's a lot of classical guitarists and harpists who work together and do really straightforward classical guitar and harp. Um, there's some jazz combinations, but we're pulling in you know, little pieces of 
kind of almost medieval sounding pieces. Casey brings a ton of, of blues. Um, and he's actually arranging a lot of the heart pieces on ballads and battles, which I think is what gives us part of the really unique sound, which is that you have someone who's fundamentally a blues guitarist arranging for harp, which is something that I've never heard before as a harpist. So I think we're defining a new sound. So if you have any, <laughs> any way to describe it, we'd appreciate that. <laughs> I'd want to crush you guys here, but it's not too likely that you're going to be finding the Stapleton's music on Top 40 radio. Right. Are the fans of your music hunting for something different? Um, I think that people respond to beautiful music and you don't often find beautiful music on Top 40 radio. That you find really, you know, perfectly crafted pop music and Top 40 especially has gone in such a processed, commercialized direction that people are really struck by the difference in the music that we're making. So we've had a, a tremendous response from people as far as listening to, to music that really hits them in a real way. So I think that that's one of the things that people have appreciated. Casey, what do you think? Um, no, I think that's well said. Uh, I, I mean, I think our music's not for everybody and it's a little bit more, more mellow um, and kind of folky. You know, we don't have aspirations to, to make it on like the pop you know, top 40 hits or anything like that. But we just want to make beautiful music and get it out there and, and hope it inspires people. Then the music that you're creating as a Stapleton's, it's really just done for you personally. No, I think we definitely want to keep performing it. We want to keep expanding what we're doing with it. When we say that we're not interested in top 40 performances, we've had a really great response to, to live concerts. Uh, we did a tour last summer uh, with our kids, which actually went really well. We did a lot of house concerts. We did some outdoor concerts. Our music demands that people sit down and listen to it. These days, I think people will get on their headphones, you know, are going through life with headphones on and music creates the soundtrack to your life in a lot of ways. Um, but our music, it demands people to take a moment to listen to it. We really enjoy connecting with audiences and um, our music does well in almost a more theatrical setting because we're doing more storytelling with it. People are sitting down. I think there's a huge amount of people who would enjoy listening to this music and we're working to connect with them yeah. as much as we can. And when we play live, like Kate said, it demands a certain attention. When we play live, Kate will tell stories between the songs, which you know explain you know how we wrote them, the background of the music. That's really part of the show too, uh, the storytelling which you don't really get on the album, but playing live, that's what you'll hear. I would have said the complete opposite. I would have said, yes, that all the songs are stories, which makes it so captivating. Right. And um, I grew up listening to a ton of, of folk radio and sort of classic folk music. And a lot of that, because I'm from Wisconsin, which is a border other than the the massive lake in between Wisconsin and Canada, a lot of the music I grew up listening to was Canadian music. And, I think Canadian listeners really appreciate storytelling more than Americans, <laughs> possibly, because so many of these great storytelling songs that I grew up with were, uh, were Canadian writers. And so I think, you know, I was inspired by that sense of not being afraid to tell stories that demand the listener to, to listen and, and enjoy them. And also, you know, Appalachian storytelling 
is the same way that there are these long storytelling ballads that came over from uh, the Celtic region. So I have a huge background in storytelling that I think came out a lot when we were writing the album. And that's why the kids love you at bedtime. <laughs> they do, although the songs on our album are too sad for some of our kids. <laughs> My seven-year-old refuses to listen to most of the songs. Yeah, they'll cover, the, they'll cover their ears. Yeah, there's and, uh, line of, you know, when your brother's dying, it's just the, the ballad of the Arsenal Girls. So they're not at the stage where they're appreciating gory songs. A couple of the songs, like, the kid, the younger kids like them, but, but some of them are like, this song is too scary yeah, for me. Yeah, they're pretty grave. Uh, but we know we do have other songs we play that aren't as grave. But on that particular album, there's a certain darkness to it, you know. Right. So our, our plans for our Christmas album next year will be much more cheerful. I really don't know how the two of you do this. So you've got kids, you've probably got jobs, you know, you've got your marriage, you've got your family life. Where do you find the time to create music? Um, it started in the middle of everything. We got married and came into our marriage as, as two musicians who were both playing music. And that was a huge part of what we were drawn to in each other, other than our height. I'm a high school teacher and uh, Kate was doing freelance music work. Yeah, I do several different writing and, and music jobs, but um, we, we both quit playing for a significant period of time, especially Casey. I mean, when we were engaged, he was sleeping with his guitar every night. I mean, he was so passionate about music. And then we got married, we had kids, and he just put his guitar away and completely stopped. He didn't play a note for six full years. And I was horrified. I was like, wait, I married a musician. What happened? And it kind of came back in the middle of everything. Like you said, we've got three kids who are small. They're under seven years old. And one morning we were drinking coffee in the kitchen and the kids were running around and howling and watching cartoons. And we got out our instruments and started playing a few notes and that kind of kicked off the whole project. And we thought, wow, this sounds really different. This is, this is a whole different sound and we should pursue this. So we spent a lot of time in our attic. We have a recording studio that we've set up in the attic. We recorded the instruments at a, a studio here in Pittsburgh, but the rest of it, the entire album was recorded in our attic and uh, vocals, and, and it was mixed in our attic too. Yeah, so we we do a lot of work in the the moments that we have at home. Yeah, we try to find time. It's very difficult. It's challenging, but you know, I might practice by myself. She might practice by herself. But eventually, we'll we'll meet up and you know try to bang out some ideas. But I mean, our, our practice sessions usually don't last for more than thirty minutes. It's, we've become very efficient. I think if we had started this project as an engaged couple or without having kids, there would have been a lot more time for drama. And uh, we have no dramatic breakdowns essentially in our time that we have to create art because we have such a limited amount of time. So we can limit our drama to how to load the dishwasher. Um, and there's plenty of time for that now. But as a married couple, in some ways, I think it's so much more efficient to to work together artistically because there's only time to do art when we're working on art. Yeah. And it's really brought us closer together, you know, working on a common end and, it, and the kids like it. Cause when they go with us, we stay at uh, other people's houses who often have lots of kids and they get to see the country. It's been a great experience. Yeah. It's really brought us a lot closer together as a couple and as a family. It's been uh, amazing for our marriage because we have so much to appreciate in our projects. We both, we both write songs together. We, we kind of, each work on different aspects of the whole music project. So we're able to really appreciate each other for 
for the strengths that we have because we're both contributing different strengths to the project. So at least for me, I've really been so impressed with Casey and, and just amazed by what he's capable of doing throughout this project. What else is impressive is the album itself. And I love that you've kept it obvious, just the same as your band name, Ballads and Battles. That lays out the direction the release is going. The song right. stories aren't set in today's age, though. Um, I think there's a mix. A lot of them were historically based by the sort of place that we live and came out of the physical space that we live in. But there was also... Um, some of the songs were drawn very much from the place that we were at personally when we started writing the album. So it was kind of the physical and personal experiences that we were having is what the whole album was drawn out of. Then you wouldn't be referring to Ballads and Battles as a concept album. Um, it all kind of came together as a concept for me. I mean, I remember a lot of the songs were sort of based on the Civil War history of this part of Pittsburgh that we live in. And there's an arsenal across the street. We live across from a park, which was originally an arsenal that created a huge amount of the ammunition for several wars, including the American Civil War. And I spent a lot of time there with my children, obviously. And while we were working on kind of trying to figure out what this album was, we knew that we had some initial songs about our relationship. You know, you mentioned Blue Mountain Girl, but things that we were going through as a couple trying to kind of wrestle our way towards harmony. And uh, at the same time, we were really drawn to write about the, the history of the arsenal, this massive explosion that happened. And so standing in that space and thinking about the concept, it did sort of all come together to me. Um, so yeah, I, I think in some senses it's a concept album, but it kind of came together in a really natural way. And I can understand your kids being upset you know, hearing the song Ballad of the Arsenal Girls, that's a sad, sad song. Yeah, yeah. I really love those lyrics and just, it, it's a tragic, sad song, but I feel like uh, it just really makes you think about so many things. And uh, that's one of my favorite songs on the album, to be honest. That song was really inspired personally for me by the fact that we've always lived across from this super historic piece of land um, here in Pittsburgh. And I was reading an article about it in the newspaper several years ago and was really struck because there was a, the whole story laid out of the arsenal explosion, which was the biggest civilian casualty of the Civil War. There were 78 young girls mostly killed in this explosion. And we live across the street. We've always lived there. across the street from it, yeah. And um, the two of the names on the list of victims, there were sisters who had my last name. So my maiden name is Slattery. And Mary and Ellen Slattery were sisters who died in that explosion. So I've always felt haunted by the story of the Arsenal Girls. And when we started working on this album, I researched the story and pulled up a lot of genealogy and local histories of the area and was able to find out who their family was. You know, their father was named Patrick Slattery. My father was named Patrick Slattery. We found out their whole story of how they came from Ireland over to Newfoundland and down to Pittsburgh and what happened to them, kind of what happened to their family. So for me, that story was really personal. And actually just a couple months ago, I had a friend who's a genealogist who's still working on the project and he's been able to trace that Slattery family and my Slattery family back to the same 
super tiny village in Ireland through baptismal records. So, I mean, I'm certain that I'm related to those girls and being able to tell their story was really an amazing thing for me. I feel like they wanted their story to be told. You spoke about the Civil War and how some of the songs came out of looking at that time period. You also included Battle Hymn of the Republic. I've always struggled with that hymn. You know, maybe because I'm Canadian and not American. The hymn is all about North against the South during the American Civil War. I guess the issue I have is that it's turned into being more of a patriotic and protest song versus a true hymn. Right. I think that... uh when I initially suggested it um, as something to add to the the album, I kind of felt like the echo of it, you know, with the the arsenal being so close and that that civil war history being so close here, that that song kind of really reverberated for me. The lyrics to that song are what I've always been really struck by. And Casey initially wasn't interested in including it because it's got such a bouncy rhythm. So when you think about it, yeah, you see Americans marching around with flags and it's very martial and almost celebratory of this horrible, gory bloodshed that happened. But when we talk about it, um, when we're playing live, I think what I always mention is that that song during a period of such darkness where the whole nation as it existed at that point, no one was left untouched. There were so many people killed in that war and it impacted every community and almost every family. And um, during that time, this woman, because it was a woman who wrote that song, woke up early in the morning in the darkness and lit a candle and wrote these words, which are really eerie, but are also so hopeful and so mysterious. And I think that the way that Casey said it when he he created the new setting for the song really brings that to the forefront in a new way because you're not bouncing along. And it is a very different arrangement. Yeah, I mean, like Kate said, I I never enjoyed uh, the traditional arrangement. I found it too bippy. You know, I I like the words, but I, I felt like I needed something a bit more reverent and grave and what I think is like more perennial. And it didn't help too that when the, there was a video circulating of uh, a memorial service, ex-president George Bush was there holding hands with Michelle Obama and they were singing Battle Hymn of the Republic. And uh, he was like swaying to the side, grinning. And she was like trying not to smile too. It was ridiculous. It was like everything that you hated about the song all encapsulated in one moment on YouTube. And they were like, they were trying to hold like, George Bush's hands, like to squeeze him to stop swaying so, you know, joyfully, but like no one could restrain. It was kind of like hilarious, but I have to change that melody. (laughs) I'm going to have to hunt that one up. (laughs) It's really funny. Yeah. Okay. So you brought a hymn in. You've also hinted at a Christian faith a couple of times on the release. Maybe I'm just reading this into the song, but I'm sort of seeing that coming through on the flame. Or is that really just my interpretation? Um, No, I think that's definitely, that was the first song that we wrote together. The melody for that is what we just sat down and started playing in the kitchen one morning. And um, in many ways, that song was really about our marriage, about our kind of struggle to, to be in harmony and, you know, getting married as two strong personalities, uh, just trying to figure out how to be yoked together and, that was, that was what that song was about. But at the same time, we, it was half written and I was working on it. Casey was working on it. 
And on his copy of, of the lyrics, he had scrawled in the top corner about the dark night of the soul. So we were kind of in the middle of the song. It was taking us a while. It was our first time ever writing a song together. And I was, uh, I was at a meeting at church and it was really late at night. And I saw um, in the sanctuary, there was the red Eucharistic light burning. Um, we're Catholic. And um, I was really struck by that, that light burning in the darkness. And that was kind of the core of, of what I brought into the song as well, because while being a song about marriage, and marriage being hard sometimes, it was also really a song about the fact that that keeping the faith is challenging. And, and sometimes, like marriage, it doesn't feel good. You're not feeling this massive outpouring of, of love from God or the love of romance. And so sort of holding on to faith when it's challenging, um, it was definitely a song that was had a religious inspiration, for sure. Now, Casey, i got to aim this at you. Okay. Have you not learned yet from Kate, who really controls the house? <laughs> yeah. He has not learned. I have no, not learned. He definitely has not. But I am still learning. <laughs> I suppose it's probably too early to ask about more recording plans, even though it does sound like you've got something running. I've got an idea for you. Instead of basing the new album on the past, why don't you guys just go with like a space epic theme? <laughs> Well, that would bring us right to uh, Star Sailor, which Casey, you know, that was his song. And, and he kind of went into outer space, which I was surprised by. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we have uh, plans for, I guess you would call them like different themes, like EPs or even full albums. Like besides the Christmas one, um, we're doing a, a Western one next year with guitar and harp. Um, like we're taking a lot of like old Wild West songs and... Uh, updating the the melodies and the arrangements. Uh, We're going to be recording a Chinese song uh, and releasing it in February for the new Chinese New Year. We have a Chinese uh, teacher living with us in our house because it's not crazy enough. Uh, (laughs) Just our three children. So uh, last year and this year as well, we've had Chinese teachers um, living with us. So uh, yeah, it's this Chinese. Yeah, it's it's called Tibetan Plateau. Basically, it's from Tibet, but it's a really popular song in China. And uh, it's all about, like, the Tibetan plateau. So I heard it, and I'm like, this is a really beautiful song. Let's, you know, cover it um, just as a fun thing. But we're not going to release a full Chinese album probably ever. Right, definitely yeah, not. not our- but, I mean, one of the things that we did while we were working on Ballads and Battles was really slowly build up the ability to record at home. Because, like you mentioned, we have a lot of kids. We don't have a lot of time. We're both working. Um, so we have... Uh, rudimentary but ample things that allow us we have a basic recording studio in the attic now and casey's really worked hard to um he wasn't planning on mixing the album the last one that we did but he ended up mixing ballads and battles and so we can now do um all of our own recording all of our instruments all of our vocals all of our mixing at home. So the only thing that we have to take out is mastering. So it's becoming more and more affordable and possible for us to kind of work on these different projects and, and create different projects to put out there. Well, it's going to be great to be able to hear some of the new stuff and that Tibetan Chinese song sounds really interesting. Yeah, I hope so. Kate and Casey, thanks so much for coming and speaking with the antidote. This has been fun. Thank Thank you you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you.